23. Narcissus and the Mirrored Shade. It's your iPhone. Isolating with our devices is the new baseball and apple pie. Whenever I look around, I see someone staring into his or her phone, still as a statue, and I think of the myth of Narcissus and how he stared into the pool at his reflection, and falling in love with what he saw, he lost himself. And then I think to myself, wow, that must be exactly what I look like when I'm staring into my phone. From Ovid's Metamorphosis in Chapter 3, there's something strangely relevant for our world today. Ovid was a Roman poet who lived at the same time of Jesus and during the reign of Caesar Augustus. He recorded many of the Greek and Roman myths of ancient times, and when I was attempting to be an author of fiction, which I'll save for another episode, I read Ovid's Metamorphosis quite a bit for a couple of reasons. First, they are ancient stories with deep insights. Second, I enjoy reading mythology. And third, I could steal plots from these ancient tales and plug in my own characters. There are only so many plots, and once you exhaust your Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, and HBO Plus shows, you will know what I mean by that. There's not an unlimited well of plot lines for writers to draw from. But for my purposes here, I only mean to talk about one of Ovid's recorded myths, and it's a pretty well-known one about narcissists and where the word narcissism comes from. See if you can spot the similarities between your usage of the smartphone, and this silly old myth. For the setting, Narcissus comes to the side of a pool of water and looks down, very drawn into what he sees there. There, as he stooped to quench his thirst, another thirst increased. While he is drinking, he beholds himself reflected in the mirrored pool and loves, loves an imagined body which contains no substance. For he deems the mirrored shade a thing of life to love. He cannot move, for so he marvels at himself and lies with countenance unchanged, as if indeed a statue. All that is lovely in himself he loves, and in his witless way he wants himself. He who approves is equally approved. The cheat that you are seeking has no place. Avert your gaze, and you will lose your love, for this that holds your eyes is nothing save the image of yourself reflected back to you. It comes and waits with you, it has no life, and it will depart if you will only go. Okay, that's the end of it. There's certain phrases in there that really strike me as very much like how we deal with our phones. I would say good luck finding a more apt description of what the smartphone does to us. The phone is the image of our thoughts reflected back to us, allowing us to love whatever we are thinking. And truly, we cannot move. We become stone, like statues, like narcissists. Somehow the ancient writers and prophets and thinkers can reduce our modern, advanced society to a kind of yawning, been there, done that. It's kind of almost like a mockery of our modern originality when we're not as original as we think. The thoughts and epiphanies in our heads today really lack originality if you go back far enough to the classics. What's clear to me is that the ancients were not simpletons or fools or gullible. They were wise from living and suffering. And storytelling from all cultures has a wisdom that we tend to ignore in our age of instant gratification and tech efficiency. 
Even as we unlock more doors to physics and biology, the greatest questions have not changed and will never change. I recently read that scientists have developed a laser beam to see around corners. So an actual way to see around corners. Who would have thought, right? Well, won't that be nice? But will it make the world a better place? Mm, I doubt it. In fact, many of our better place stories about technology end up blowing up in our face, sometimes literally, since military applications are usually the first takers. There's a show called Silicon Valley, and it's a comedy from HBO where they produced a great joke on the software and tech industry's self-congratulation for fixing the world's problems, as there are many technocrats in Silicon Valley, and I've worked in that area for quite a long time. Every app and product claims to be making the world a better place. You hear it all the time. But for the most part, that is just a marketing ploy, and it's also kind of a self-delivered back rub for techies to encourage themselves in their endeavors. And there are many things that start out to make the world a better place and end up doing the opposite. And the two most famous ones that I can think of being would be splitting the atom and a thing called Facebook. And I won't add one more possibly about virus research, but I suspect there's something there as well. I, I do not mean to attack science at all because I, I love it. The findings are amazing. And I, I nodded along with these fixers, the kind of a faith in science, what some people are, would call if you have total faith in science, like scientism, believing that tech and science will undo every knot. And if not today, then eventually. Well, there's been plenty of people who predicted we would have no war and no hunger and all of these things with science, and we still do, and we always will. You know, those things will never be fully solved. Every discovery introduces a new problem. That's the flaw of our nature of humans. And we as individuals and collectively, we gaze at ourselves with this amazement and marveling and kind of a self-worship of humankind and the things of this world and literally forget about God, as I did for many years. And I am kind of an internet Luddite. If you know what the word Luddite means, it's the, um, the people who smashed the looms in, in England when they took their jobs, these automatic looms. Uh, Ned Ludd was the leader of the Luddites. And so I, I have my doubts about the good things of the internet, although there are many good things, and sometimes I forget to recognize that because of there's obviously many negative things about it. But the internet does have its charms, that's for sure. And I see personally no conflict between science and religion or science and spirituality, since science is concerned with things of this world and faith is concerned with things beyond this world. But I do see a conflict between big tech companies and reality. And along with the narcissist myth that is so obvious in our phone addiction, there's another primeval event that I recall whenever I turn over my phone and look at the back of it. On the back of every Apple phone is the image of an apple with a bite out of it. So the irony of a company named Apple having a logo of an apple with a bite taken out is too rich and obvious to ignore. And while I appreciate the catechism of the church's reference to figurative language regarding the first book of Genesis and the fall of man, 
I also love the story of how Genesis uses the apple to describe the flaw that is written on our hearts. I've gone into this in some of the previous episodes with the fall, you know, the idea of the fall and this this issue that we have to deal with um, in our hearts. The Catholic Church's allegorical reading of Genesis is one of the main reasons I'm returned. And I I felt much like St. Augustine when he said, I was being killed by the Old Testament passages when I took them literally. And I've talked about that in some other episodes as well. But you know, when the story for original sin uses an apple as the central temptation of turning the first people away from God and toward worldly pr- pleasures, and today the largest corporation in the world, Apple, is turning people away from God and toward worldly pleasures, and the logo is a bitten apple, again, you can't help but tip your hat to the ancient writers. Apparently, there's something about apples that we really, really like, even when I mention In America, they talk about baseball and apple pie. Uh, There's something about apples, I swear. I think the only name that could have been more perfect for Apple, the company, might have been Golden Calf, but I I don't think they would have sold as many phones. The funny thing to me, though, is that the pre-Christian Greeks had had a saying of know thyself, which said that man must be subordinate to the gods, and Prometheus was one that got punished for getting out of order, for stealing fire from the gods. He did not know himself. The Hebrews' first three commandments are about respecting and surrendering to God. Islam is about surrendering to God. There's, there's repeatedly, you see this in cultures, and it's, it's common. The Christian edition was to love God first and then one, one another, the two commandments of Jesus. Um, you know, yeah, for Islam, the first, first thing is there is no God but God. So myths from nearly all cultures have humans and tales that make them subordinate to God because mankind is underneath God. The order of things must be God before humans, otherwise bad things will happen. They didn't arrive at that. They didn't make that up in all these different cultures because it just was some coincidence. They were arriving at that conclusion. And I have a deep feeling that this is correct. The ordering set forth by old knowledge was learned by experience. The experience led to the rule, know thyself. You know, there is no God but God. Love God first. All of those things. Today, however, the sprawling message, mainly broadcasting from the United States, is the opposite focus of the old wisdom. Know thyself is now a self-oriented interpretation of life, like the kind narcissists found in the pool. We stare into the phone at the reflection of our thoughts, looking at a watery, amorphous truth in that mirror, wrapped in a fog of false connectedness. But really, we sit alone and separated and fooled, like the boy and his reflection staring at himself in the mirrored shade. 